Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Crucified, 
One day, a Roman soldier in a shameful gambling game won the blood-stained garment that once had clothed my king. A cheap robe of linen, no great value did it hold. But when worn by the master, it was worth more than gold. You see, a few days before, why, this old robe had changed the life of a tired and helpless woman who believed with all her might. She reached out and touched it with hope to be restored. She knew this plain old garment was the vesture of the Lord. And God is his common garments to do uncommon things. And God is his common people to live out his uncommon dreams. It's not what you are now that matters. You see, it's what he can make you to be. For if God can take an old common garment and change your life, then surely He can use you and me. You see, we are the reason that Jesus came to die. And we have been chosen to send forth his light. So it doesn't matter if your word is great or small. God needs some willing vessels just common garments that's all and God is his common garments to do uncommon things and God is his To live out his uncommon dreams. It's
It's not what you are now that matters. You see, it's what he can make you to be. For if God can take an old common garment and change your life, then surely He can use you and me. For if God can take an old common garment and change your life, then surely He can use you and me. Appreciate that very much. I appreciate Stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary to the old rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever share so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will please to the old rugged cross 
someday, exchange it someday, I'll exchange it someday for a Walking on the road to Jerusalem The time had come to sacrifice again My two small sons, they walk beside me on the road The reason that they came was to watch the land Daddy, Daddy, what will we see there? There's so much that we don't understand. So I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. Then I said, dear children, watch the land. There will be so many in Jerusalem today. We must be sure the Lamb doesn't run away. And I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. Then I said, dear children, watch the Lamb. When we reached the city, I knew that something must be wrong. There were no joyful worshipers, no joyful worship songs. I stood there with my children in the midst of angry men till I heard the crowd cry out. Crucify Him We tried to leave the city But we could not get away Forced to play in this drama A part I did not wish to play Why upon this day Were men condemned to die and why were we standing here where soon they would pass by? I looked and said, even now they come. The first one cried for mercy. The people gave him none. The second one was violent. He was arrogant and loud. I can still hear his angry voice screaming to the crowd. Then someone said, there's Jesus. 
I could scarce believe my eyes A man so badly beaten He barely looked alive Blood poured from his body From the thorns on his brow Running down the cross Falling to the ground I watched him as he struggled I watched him as he fell The cross came down upon his back The crowd began to yell In that moment I felt such anguish In that moment I felt such loss Till a Roman soldier grabbed my arm and said You carry his cross I tried to resist him Then his hand reached for his sword So I went and took The cross from the Lord I placed it on my shoulder Started down the street The blood that he'd been shedding Was dripping down my chest they led us to Golgotha. They drove nails in his feet and hands. Yet upon the cross I heard him say, Father, forgive me. Never have I seen such love in any other's eyes. Into thy hand I commit my spirit, he prayed. Then he died. I stood for what seemed like years. I lost all sense of time till I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine. My children stood there weeping. I heard the oldest say, Father, please forgive us the that we don't understand So I took them in my arms turned and faced the cross Then I said to children watch the Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Amen. Turn your Bibles. Mark chapter 15. 
Mark chapter 15, this morning as we focus on the path to Calvary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you already for the way you have prepared our hearts for this message that you desire to um, sink deep into our, into our souls, Lord, today of just how much you love us and the price that you paid, that our sin debts might be paid in full, Lord, that our sin debt might be done away with, Lord, that it might not be upon our heads, but Lord, that you took it and you bore that full wrath of God yourself in our place. And Lord, I pray today that we would be a people recognizing that in relationship to you that we have been called to take up our cross daily. And Lord, that that has implications on every aspect of our lives. Lord, that we are called to follow you. So Lord, I pray today. I know I have some folks, some friends here. They don't yet know you. They haven't made that decision yet. Lord, you're going to speak to their heart today. Lord, I pray they're listening. Lord, I pray as the Holy Spirit draws them, Lord, that they won't resist, that they won't distract themselves with something going on around them, but they'll listen. They'll draw nearer to you, and they'll say, I want to hear, and I want to respond. Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we would recognize that you have a word for us of the kind of lives that we were to live in light of what Christ has been paid for us. I pray that we would respond as well this morning with a commitment, an even greater commitment to follow you, to take up that cross on a daily basis and to follow you wherever you lead. Lord, I know I'm a very weak vessel, so hide me behind the cross that only you would be seen and only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come here to, to Mark chapter 15, verses 15 through 25, we see all of the actors are in place. You see all the actors are in place as this scene unfolds. Everyone knows their lines, even though no one has ever rehearsed. The greatest act in human history is about to be played out, and these verses talk about the aftermath of the Lord's trial before the Jews and then before Pilate. Both the Jewish leaders and the Roman governor had condemned Jesus and declared him to be worthy of death. The Jews did it because they hated him. They hated Jesus because he claimed to be their Messiah. He was not the kind of Messiah that they were expecting, and so because he was not the kind of Messiah they were expecting, they chose to reject him, and they sent him away to be crucified. Pilate condemned Jesus to death to save his own position, his position of power in Rome. Pilate violated every conviction he held. He convicted a man against whom no one had been able to lodge a valid charge. Pilate sinned against truth and conscience, integrity and principle in condemning Jesus. And he allowed an innocent man to be crucified to ensure his own earthly security. And in so doing, Pilate condemned his own soul to eternal damnation. And so this morning, we'll follow Jesus Christ from Pilate's judgment hall to Mount Calvary, where he will die for the sins of all people. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Mark 15, beginning there in verse 15. And so Pilate... Willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them. And he delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. 
And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns, and they put it about his head. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowed their knees and worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and they put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian who had passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they being him, and they, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. You may be seated. What a powerful passage of Scripture. And we see so much taking place here on the path to Calvary. First we see here in verses 15 through 20, Jesus and the soldiers. The Jewish leaders had rendered their verdict, the people have rendered their verdict, and Pilate has rendered his verdict. And in an effort to transfer the blame for his decision to the Jews, Pilate made a symbolic gesture of washing his hands of the entire matter. We're told the Jews accepted the blame for the death of Jesus Christ, even pronouncing a curse upon themselves and upon their own children. And then Pilate released Jesus into custody of the soldiers for them to carry out the order of his death. And so we see here in verse 15, the scourging. When the soldiers got their hands on Jesus, they began immediately to abuse him. The first thing they did was, we're told, they scourged him. The Bible passes over that event very quickly. And so the casual reader might think that there's not much to be said here. Oh, but there is so much to be said. It needs to be said that scourging was one of the most feared punishments that could be meted out by the Roman government. The victim was stripped naked. They would be forced to bend over a low pole so the skin of the back would be stretched tight. His hands and his feet would be tied and he would be whipped with a device called by the Romans the flagellum. This instrument of torture was sometimes nicknamed the scorpion. It's also been called many times the cat of nine tails. The flagellum consisted of a wooden handle from which it extended several strips of leather. And on the ends of those leather strips would be small pieces of bone and metal. This whip was used to beat the prisoner. And as he was beaten, the bone and the metal in that whip would gouge large chunks of flesh out of the victim. Many men would die from this beating alone because of blood loss. I can't possibly describe to you what a Roman scourging was like. I don't have the vocabulary today to do that. But I want you to remember why Jesus Christ allowed that horrible scourging to take place. He did it because he loves you. 
He did it because he loves you so much that he was willing to die. That was your whipping. That was your scourging that he took. He did it so that you could be saved, and he also did it to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. But not only do we see the scourging, we also see in verse, verses 16 through 20, the scoffing. After the soldiers finished scourging Jesus, they took him back into the fort and they called the whole band, the Bible says. Now, by, by that reference of the whole band, it's talking about a Roman cohort, which would have consisted of 600 soldiers. Not all of these soldiers would have been on duty. They would have come, and this would have not have been a, a thing uncommon, but they would have come to have their fun with a prisoner before they were executed. This was routine for them. And as long as they didn't kill the condemned prisoner before he suffered the prescribed execution, they were free to do what they pleased with that prisoner. These men were heartless and utterly devoid of compassion for the Lord Jesus Christ, who had never committed a single sin in his entire life. Imagine the scene here as Jesus stands there before them. His body is weary from a night of restlessness, of of having absolutely no sleep. His face is swollen from the abuse he suffered at the hands of the high priest and the temple police as they beat him in the face. He is bloodied from the scourging. His his flesh upon his back is literally hanging like ribbons. His blood pools at his feet. You would think that seeing Jesus in this condition would have caused these soldiers to back off and to have a little bit of compassion, but oh, they did not. It was almost more like sharks smelling blood. They placed a cruel game upon him. They played it as they draped a purple robe upon his shoulders. They made a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his head. They took a reed and put it in his hands. And they heard the accusations before that Jesus had claimed to be the king of the Jews And so they dressed him up like a king, and they began to mock him, and they bent their knees in mocking salute to him as a king. What a tragic scene of mockery before the King of kings and Lord of lords. But is this not what the world still does to Jesus? Even today, the world still pays lip service and bows a mocking knee before him, but they do not love him, and they do not respect him, and they have no desire to live for him. They do not care about his words, and they will not live by his ways the world pays jesus lip service but there is no love for him not in their hearts it's sad but not only is the world like this but all too often so is the church there are people who claim to know him by the words of their mouth but they deny him by the way that they live their lives People can profess anything they please, but a person's life speaks louder than the profession of their mouth. Someone once said, what you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. And when we claim to love Jesus, but we refuse to serve him, we're no better than these soldiers who mocked Jesus the day that they also crucified him. But also we see in verse 19 
the smiting. These men were not content to whip Jesus, to scourge Jesus. They were not content to simply mock him and ridicule him. But according to verse 17, they placed a crown made of thorns on his head. And in a final act of cruelty here, they took the reed that they had placed in his hands and they beat him upon the head with that stick and they spit in the face of Jesus. Then they took that purple garment that had been laying upon his his back for quite some time and as those scabs that that blood had begun to scab up they ripped it away from his back reopening those wounds again to bleed afresh broken humiliated Christ is now led away to his death I mentioned this because it's a picture of the grace of God in action this is literally God in the flesh whom they are mocking This is literally God's face that they are spitting upon. This is literally God that they are abusing. He created these very men, and he possessed the power to destroy these very men by simply thinking it. Jesus had the right at any moment to call down a legion of angels to destroy these men. But he didn't. Again, I tell you that he endured it all because of his passion to do the Father's will, but also because of his amazing love for you and for me while we were yet still sinners. Jesus wore a scarlet robe in Pilate's hall that morning, and before the day would end, Jesus would wear my scarlet sins upon that cross. Jesus wore a crown of thorns that morning, and these thorns symbolize the curse of sin that we see there in Genesis chapter 3, before the day would end, Jesus would bear the full weight of the curse of sin. And he would pay sin's debt and guarantee that one day the world would be delivered from that curse forever. The second thing I want you to see this morning, we see here in verse 21. It's Jesus and Simon. You see, having finished their cruel game, the soldiers led Jesus Christ to Calvary to carry out his execution. And they make their way to Calvary. Jesus is unable now to carry his cross. You see, history teaches us that the condemned man was required to carry the heavy cross beam that he would be killed upon. He was ordered to carry that upon his own shoulders to the place of execution. The cross beam would be tied across their shoulders, the shoulder of the condemned man, and he would be forced to carry that very heavy cross beam. But due to his weariness from no sleep and the abuse in the hands of the accusers and from the blood loss that he experienced from that scourging, Jesus was simply too weak to physically carry his own cross upon his shoulders. And so the Roman shoulders grabbed a man A man the Bible tells us his name was Simon. They grabbed him from the crowd and they forced him to carry the Lord's cross. And so we see his selection here. Because not much is known about this man named Simon. All we know from what is told us in the scriptures is that he was from Cyrene, which was located in Africa near uh, present-day Libya. We know that he was in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. So it stands to reason that he was a Jew and that he had come 
for the purpose of worshiping. He was probably traveling with his entire family. This man, an African, probably a man of color, he was there for the purpose of worship. He had come to offer a Passover lamb. He came face to face, though, with the Lamb of God. And just for the record, it was no chance meeting. The word of the Lord tells us that they compelled Simon to carry the Lord's cross. That word means to press into public service. Roman law allowed Roman soldiers to enlist civilians for certain tasks. People were required to obey, and they were required to obey with the penalty of death. And so he had to carry the cross. Jesus mentions that, that practice in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, that, that there was no choice on the, on the part of Simon here. But also we see his shame. You see, because the most degrading act imaginable was to have to carry the cross of a condemned man to his crucifixion. No soldier would stoop to that level to do it. No Jew would ever want to do it because at the point that they touched that cross, they would be ceremonially unclean. And this was the eve of the Passover. And to carry that cross branded a person ceremonially unclean for the rest of the Passover. And so for Simon, the Passover was over the minute that he touched that cross. The word compel carries with it the idea of force. Perhaps it was the threat of death that caused this African man to pick up that cross and to carry it. But regardless of the situation and circumstances, the moment that Simon touched the cross, he was a marked man. A marked man for the rest of his life. And what a picture that is for us. For all of us who claim Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. Did you realize that the cross of Jesus Christ is still associated with shame even today? Jesus said that one of the marks of his disciples would be that we would have a willingness to take up our cross and to experience the shame that comes with that cross. But we would take it up because we are his. This passage makes it clear that those who follow Jesus must be willing to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow him. I want you to note the steps of Jesus led him to death before they led him to glory. The same may be true for you and me here this morning as well. Bearing his cross will bring the reproach of the world that we live in. But a willingness to bear that cross for his glory will also bring a smile onto the face of God. It is what he has called us to do each and every day of our lives. Just as a condemned criminal was forced to carry his cross to show the world that he was submissive to the rules that he had once rebelled against and broken. So the born-again believer must bear the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this shows the world that we now are submissive to the rule of the one that we formerly rebelled against ourselves. So this may mean that we must walk out of step with the world around about us. Certainly it will mean that we must be different from the world in our thinking and in the manner of our life, in the form of our entertainment, uh, in, in how we conduct ourselves in interpersonal relationships, if we are going to take up our cross, if we are going to follow Jesus, it's going to change everything about our lives. And so part of the shame of Christ is our learning to be like him instead of being like the world, instead of blending in with the world around us. And so don't even pretend to be carrying your cross unless you have surrendered each and every area of your life to God. Every area. 
not hiding any from him. Is God pleased with every aspect of your life, every corner, every closet of your life? Could you invite Jesus to listen to the music that you listen to in your car when no one else is around? That you listen to in your room when no one else is around? Could you invite him to watch the television programming or what you look at on the internet? Could you invite Jesus to be there with you? And would you be proud for him to see it? Could you take him on your dates or could you take him to to the places where you hang out? And would it be appropriate for him to be there? Could Jesus join you in everything that you do in life and it be okay? If not, then someone needs to change, and I guarantee you it's not him. We need to think about that. But also we see his salvation. Praise the Lord, we see his salvation. It was not an accident that Simon and his family were passing through Jerusalem at this precise moment. It was the providence of the Lord that allowed his path to cross that of the Lord Jesus Christ on this particular day. And I can't understand all the workings of our Lord, but I do know that he has a way of bringing people to him that need to be saved. And we see that from our missionaries all around the world, that things happen and bring people to places that they ought not to be in, and that they meet somebody who knows Jesus and the gospel is shared. And it's not by accident. It's the providence of a sovereign God. Remember the woman at the well? She wasn't there by accident. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He wasn't there by accident, and neither was Philip. Apparently, God used these events to bring about the salvation of this man named Simon. God brought a seeker together with a Savior, and the man would never be the same. We don't know when Simon came to know the Lord, but we have every reason to believe that he did, because Mark mentions Alexander and Rufus. Those names must have been familiar to the Christians To which he was writing because later Paul, in his closing of his letter to the Romans, mentions Rufus and his mother and the mother of Rufus. Even going so far as to say that he would adopt her as his own mother. There's a close relationship there. And so they must have come to know Christ and they must have been devoted followers. It's evident that something happened in their heart of Simon here in the heart of his family, as they watched the Lord dying upon that cross as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God died for their sins, something changed inside of them, and and, and it would never be the same. Whatever took place, God used it and changed his heart and his life. What a picture that is of the grace of God and how he met us. And just like Simon, I was minding my own business when I came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. I just so happened, accidentally by the providence of God, to be at a youth revival that I had no business being at because I wasn't old enough. And Jesus came walking by and was never the same. Because I met the one who died on that cross for my sins. I met the one who rose again three days later and I've never been the same. You see, Jesus found me, and he compelled me to take up that cross and to follow him. And when I did, he saved my soul. We can do the same, each and every one of us. If you don't yet have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't know what I need to do next, just surrender. Just surrender. Just say, I'm willing, Lord. 
I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't fix this on my own. I surrender to you. If you've never been saved by the grace of God, Jesus is here this morning and he desires for you to be saved. Your life can be changed. The, the, the trajectory of your eternity can be changed forever if you're willing to say yes to Jesus today. Why would you possibly, why would you possibly push him away? But lastly, I want you to see here in verses 22 through 25, Jesus and the school. It was a place of choices. You see, when Jesus arrived at Golgotha, he was offered wine mingled with myrrh to drink. Now, this was a narcotic mixture. It was not designed for the condemned man's comfort, but rather it was designed for the Roman soldiers' convenience. They did not care that Jesus suffered. They did not care that anyone else suffered. They offered this drink because it kept the prisoner from struggling as they placed nails into their feet and hands. So when Jesus is offered that mind-numbing drink, he refuses it. Because Jesus came to this world for this very moment to die for your sins and for mine. And he came to drink the dregs of the Father's cup of wrath. He came to die for the innocent that we might be saved. Jesus wanted to do all of that with a clear mind. He wanted to experience the full wrath of God for us. And so Jesus willingly endured all the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional agonies of the cross. And he did it with absolutely no relief at all. He desired to suffer the full measure of the punishment that I deserved. And he did it for the glory of the Father. But he also did it because of his great love for you and me. But we also see in verse 24 that it was a place of callousness. The depth of human depravity was clearly on display there in Calvary. After the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross, they sit down at his feet and they began to, to gamble on the, over the only possessions the man ever owned, which was the clothing upon his back. And of course, this was done to fulfill the prophecy there in Psalm chapter 22, verse 18. But it also clearly reveals just how wicked that man can truly be. These hard-hearted soldiers turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to the suffering of a condemned man who had never sinned a day in his life and played games at the foot of his cross. But let's not be too hard on these soldiers this morning because most of us demonstrate the same kind of callousness every day in our own lives. We live for ourselves with no thought given to those around us. And if it doesn't touch our family, then it really isn't important to us. Yes, people are going to die and go to hell if we don't share the gospel with them. But so often with the actions of our lives, we say, that's not my problem. After all, my family's saved. Yes, people are suffering, but I have too much to do to care about that today. Yes, I know there's spiritual work to be done, but you can't expect me to get involved. After all, I have things that I like to do. And I don't want to put it off. It's the same attitude that these soldiers possess. I've got other things to do. I'm too busy. I can't worry myself with that. It should never be true of the redeemed child of God. But also once you see here in verses 24 and 25, it was a place of crucifixion. The Bible is an amazing book. In all four Gospels, the writers simply say, and they crucified him. But the event itself is really never described. 
One of the most important events in all of human history is simply described with the words, and they crucified him. While the Bible does not give us much in the way of description, it does let us know that that crucifixion of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary was a very important event in human history. In fact, the cross is the centerpiece of all of human history. Everything changed on that day. The day Jesus Christ was crucified was the day sin and Satan were forever defeated for all who believe on him. The death of Jesus of Nazareth and the two thieves that day was just business as usual for these Roman soldiers. The death of three Jewish men never even made a blip on the radar of Rome, of Rome's concern. But I want you to know that while earth didn't see the significance of what was happening that day, the death of Jesus Christ certainly made news in heaven. As everything stopped, and the angels themselves were transfixed on the events taking place on that hill. Why would the Father allow the Son to die in this way? The Father witnessed the death of the Son, and as he witnessed it, he was satisfied. Sin's penalty had been paid, and sinners could be saved. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ opened the way to God, and that way will never be closed. Now all those who come to him by faith, trusting his death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead, as their sole hope for salvation, will eternally be saved by the grace of God. For it is by grace that we are saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. I'll say more about the cross as we continue through these events in the next few weeks. But a glimpse of these three scenes as Jesus made his way to the cross is all that we're going to have time for this morning. What do you think when you study these things, though? What comes to your mind? What comes to your heart? What comes into your soul? Are you reminded of his love for you? Are you filled with praise and thanksgiving for a Savior who literally gave himself for you, that you might be saved, that your life might not be condemned to hell, but that you might get to spend an eternity with him? Are you thankful for that this morning? Do you think about that when you study these things? Would today be a good day, though, for some of you to be reminded of his love because you've never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord? Maybe today you recognize that, you know what, I am a sinner. And I recognize that upon that cross of Calvary, Jesus was dying in my place. That was my sin. That was my cross. That was, that was my punishment. But Jesus took it for me. And for the first time, it's making sense to you. For the first time this morning, you're recognizing that you are lost. And that regardless of if mom and dad are saved, regardless of if grandparents are saved, regardless if you've been in church your entire life, that you are not a saved individual and that you need to be saved this morning. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, would you come to him? Would you say yes to him? Because you can't fix it yourself. He paid it all on the cross of Calvary. He paid it in full. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop putting it off for another day. Would you come to the foot of the cross? Would you bow before him? Would you cry out for salvation? Because if you will, you will be saved. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you for each of these scenes that we see on the path to Calvary. But we thank you for the opportunity to recognize just how great your love is. 
And as we th- think about so often how, how far that you've cast our sin, it's as far as one hand to the other as you were crucified on that cross. Lord, you've cast our sin away forever. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I know I have some friends today. They need to be saved. Lord, I know you're speaking to their heart right now. They know who they are, and they know that you're talking about them right now. Lord, save them. Lord, don't let them be comfortable. Don't let them stay in that pew. Don't let them say, I'm going to put it off till another day. Lord, I pray for today to be the day of their salvation. And we're going to praise you for it. We're going to celebrate it. Because you're a good God. And you deserve all of our worship and all of our praise. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with the relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.